0: Welcome, this is Dale Stewart, and you are tuned to Nature's Edge. Today we have a special guest with us, uh, Mr. Ned Ryan Dahl, uh, who is a host of Southern, Our Southern Community. I can't even talk this morning. Well, it's awfully cold out, I, I, Dale. It, I would think a survivalist like you would have defrosted by now. I'm fine in the cold. It's once I come into these urban settings that confuse me. Uh, Ned, we're going to talk about the culture of sustainability, if that's all right with you.
1: I think that is an excellent topic.
0: Would you like to define for the listeners exactly what sustainability means?
1: I will certainly give that a stab. The term sustainability gets bantered around quite a bit these days, and there seem to be a, a range of definitions, but... For my personal view of it, and I think reflecting a lot of people, it's very simply how long can you do something? How long can you sustain whatever action, whatever effort, whatever policy, whatever you're trying to do? How long can you keep it up? And that means to me, and again to a lot of people looking at these issues... There's not a single timeline of sustainable as a thousand years or sustainable as six months. It's all very relative, but when we look at sustainability, especially in the environmental framework, sustainable really is how do we maintain and keep the ecosystem, the biosphere as healthy as possible, as long as possible within the changes that happen in nature. I mean, change happens all the time, so we don't stay stagnant or anything along those lines. But how long can we sustain, say, old-growth forests without cutting them down? How long can we sustain clean water in our rivers? How long can we sustain the wild incredible biodiversity, for example, right here in Western North Carolina. All these things come together, and sustainability is not a short-term thing. It's a long-term vision.
0: Ned, is there an economic um, component to sustainability?
1: Without any doubt whatsoever. I think it takes a somewhat different view or definition, but that is emerging in that today specifically let me let me get into the economic aspect of it and I'll tie it back to the environment because clearly they're interrelated the current business economic model that most folks most governments work with is this idea of uncontrolled unending growth we've always got to grow the gross domestic product, we've got to grow the economy, we've got to expand the economy. And in a narrow, theoretical, mathematical framework, that's fine. With mathematics, things can be infinite. You can continue expanding, and on paper, it works out. But in the real world of reality out there, what you're familiar with and so many people are becoming more in tune with in terms of nature. Really, the only thing that continues with uncontrolled growth is a cancer cell until the host is destroyed. And that's a simple way to put it, but it's really the fact. We just cannot continue to expand our economic base, our economic models, when, for example, they're currently based on fossil fuels, it's finite. We're going to run out of fossil fuels at some point. And I've had far too many discussions with too many people who argue about when it's going to run out. Well, it's an irrelevant point. The fact is, it is running out. It is at peak production, however we want to look at it. And so how do you have a sustainable economy when one of the linchpins of the whole thing, actually more one of the foundations to it, is a finite resource that's running out. It just doesn't make sense. So in terms of economic models that are developing today, there are a lot of folks that are beginning to grasp the notion, grasp the concept that there is sustainable economics. Not the type of economics we're accustomed to, but not dramatically different either. It's not really a huge change, Uh, For example, uh, currently uh, my interview along with Michelle Smith, my new co-host, with Sarah Day Evans with her program Accelerating Appalachia addresses this to a very large degree. As an example, the old economic model would be bring in a factory, bring in a manufacturing plant for a town or a county and we'll get everyone employed and there'll be a few restaurants in the service industries. Well, when that manufacturing collapses, the market goes away, they move, they outsource, whatever, the local economy is usually seriously impacted. On the other hand, when you look at developing businesses that are based on the local resources, the local needs, such as, in the, again, in this area, I'm looking at the Western Carolinas and the Appalachians, you're looking at things such as food production, botanicals from the forest, forest products itself. Uh, today, clean energy, green building, there's a whole range of these things. So, the upshot is people are beginning to realize that employing 500 people with 100 businesses is actually a lot more sustainable than employing 500 people with one business. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Now, rolling it back into the environmental aspect, our economy. Is And it always has been, although it's been kind of clouded, obfuscated, is totally dependent on the natural environment. Whether we're talking fossil fuels, wood to build homes, growing the foods, all these examples are based in our natural capital of the environment. Whether it's water, air, and so forth, and so it's totally interrelated. The environment and the economy need to be treated with a sustainable framework if we're going to maintain any semblance of the way we're living now.
0: That's a. Those are those are excellent points, uh, Ned, uh, and, and I totally agree that it's 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 better maybe to have those one hundred small. Independent business businesses that uh, that each employ uh, five or six people, than that one huge corporation. And it also seems though that our 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 current government or political structure uh, doesn't really understand that all the way across the United States. They tend to want to get that one big factory, and uh, and really will give away. Uh, a lot to get that one big factory, so they can stand up there for the big ribbon cutting, as opposed to going to one small family business and, and helping them. Uh, that certainly uh, seems to be the 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 trait across the country.
1: And interestingly enough, the understanding, the realization that those. Uh, tax packages, incentives to lure in uh, new business into an area is really not the best investment because the bulk of the jobs today that are being created are being created by small businesses. And they are not seeing those incentives. So there is a rethinking of it. But when we have a political and governmental structure that is directly supported, controlled, operated, I'm looking for the right word, by the 1%. The 99% are having a little hard time with these things.
0: That, that they do. You were listening to Dale Stewart, Nature's Edge, and uh, my special guest today, Mr. Ned Ryan Doyle. Ned is the host of Our Southern Community, uh, heard on many stations throughout uh, throughout the Carolinas. And Ned, we'll be back, and I want to. We're going to talk a little more about some of the uh, uh, some of the sustainability benefits uh, that are available to uh, to people out there. We shall return. <music> Welcome back. This is Dale Stewart, and you are listening to Nature's Edge. Our guest today, Mr. Ned Ryan Dahl. Ned is host of our Southern Community. And we've been talking about, uh, in the in the first uh, segment there, a little about sustainability. And, Ned, I wanted to get a little, uh, talk a little more about the benefits of su- uh, sustainability to individuals.
1: Well, that is a... Uh... Excellent topic. Of course, I'm biased in favor of sustainability and individuals, so we'll take that with a grain of salt. The idea of sustainability on the individual level really can take any number of different forms. And I think that a lot of that is a a personal view. And I mean, I know, Dale, from your travels and adventures with a, a wide range of different cultures around the planet. What one tribe or one group of people may consider sustainable and important is not necessarily going to be the same as the other. There's different views on that. In our general region, Appalachia, Western North Carolina, there is really a tradition of individual sustainability if we look back to the original inhabitants of the Cherokee is the first example that comes to mind who were able to very successfully live within the environment, sustainability for thousands of years uh, i'm not a historian a historian about it exactly but i know it was a long time maybe 10,000 years, depending on who guesses it. And they lived within the balance of the natural world and food and energy and so forth. When we look at the early settlers through the early mountain regions here in terms of the Europeans coming in, they were a particularly hardy bunch relative to a lot of the settlers around the United States because they're living in the mountains. Tough terrain, just physically going up and down the hills, uh, a new environment for them. And so in terms of their self-reliance, sustainability, and independence, growing their own food was a really big thing. Uh, the m- There's a huge number of farms in the region already that are smaller. I mean, you know, we, we sort this out. This is not... Iowa growing corn. But when you look at the number of farming operations, the smaller scale of it, they're all through the region. And that's a really big issue in terms of self-reliance and sustainability. We look at the energy aspect of it in North Carolina today. Green energy, solar, wind, green building, energy efficiency, all these are wrapped together. And there are more and more people that are making that shift to clean energy and independent energy coming off the grid. It's, a, it's an emerging phenomenon. It's, we'll drop the economics back into it, but the upshot is right now it's pretty much on par that if you look at energy as an investment, it's the same price or cheaper to create your own energy and go off-grid. And this is a big issue for the utility companies. And as a lot of my listeners know, I'm prepared to go there. But coming back to your question, I think the idea of self-reliance and sustainability is not one of ultimate off-the-grid, ultimate self food production, and so forth, but is being more sustainable on a community level, working together with, for example, CSAs, community-supported agriculture, uh, biking communities. Uh, You know, there's a whole range of these examples, and it makes sense economically as well. The dollar you spend locally, most of that will stay local. You spend a dollar at Walmart or wherever the majority of that goes out of the local economy. So all all of those are different aspects of self-reliance.
0: You know, Ned, you you mentioned the the fact that I had spent time with indigenous tribes around the world, and I really have, and I I think they are true sustainable little centers, each and every one of them. You know, they don't have grocery stores, they don't have hardware stores, they don't have uh, a, a huge electrical are uh, utility companies supplying their power so everything they do is is sustainable and and I quite frankly have learned from them that electricity for in- instance is way overrated <laughs> isn't
1: that the truth
0: <laughs> <laughs> by, by many um, and uh, so they they truly understand that and, and something that they do a lot and i I was going to ask your your thoughts on this and it's barter uh, they they have people within their village uh Primarily the women who grow the little gardens and grow things. The men will hunt and fish. Uh, uh, the women will collect herbs and medicines and spices. Uh, it's funny. They look at the jungle and the rainforest. Uh, that, that is where they, they shop. That's where they get their groceries. That is their supermarket. That, that is the hardware. pharmacy. That's it. That is. And that's their hardware store. But they barter uh, among these villages quite a bit. You'll have a village in one area that lives on a river or a lake and they will actually trade fish for vegetables. Do you see bartering uh, coming back in the United States at some level?
1: I think that it's yes, is the short answer. It never really went away, is, I think, is a better answer. It is certainly has faded the obsession with money, and, which is just green paper, mm-hmm. Anyone reads Douglas Adams and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? So many problems were caused by green paper that had nothing to do with it in the first place. But there are more and more local bartering economies that are emerging, developing, and getting their roots back. And I think that's really good from uh, any number of standpoints, it connects people with each other. You're making your own quote unquote deal. You know, a dozen duck eggs are going to be worth how many ears of corn type thing. And when you're talking food services and bartering and the resistance to the bartering is really just from the the economic people who want to see the money. You know, we want the taxes. We're trying to get a percentage and all that. And, I, and I'm not advocating no money. I mean, currency has its value. And it's a common denominator. It's an interesting mental invention. And it has its purposes. But the over-reliance on money is just, it, I, don't, I think it's part of, our cultural problems in the United States, the money being the the greed for money being the root of all evil and so forth. But what I've said for years is that we need to get back to the understanding that working is good for the soul. It's having a job that'll kill you. These yeah. are two different things. if you're just doing it for the money, you're not going to be happy. but if you really like to work and everybody needs to work in some form or another, Things tend to sort themselves out.
0: You know, I, I grew up on a farm, and even to this day, you know, I love the smell of fresh teal dirt. It's just something that I grew up with, and my wife and I grow our little garden. And, and, uh, and, 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 and pretty much between my hunting and fishing and our garden, we're fairly sustainable. I don't have to go to the grocery store near as often um, as I would have if I did not do that. And we have neighbors who, who grow different things, and we we find that, uh, that trading uh, among ourselves uh, uh, works very well. Uh, and, and I think uh, more people are doing it, and I'm even seeing a little bit of a trend of this in some of the larger urban cities with these smaller urban container gardens. Uh, uh, have you had any experience or, or working with any of the urban uh, people that are now growing their own little gardens yes actually we got one minute one minute oh too that's much what, to that's explain. what the finger was for Ned. <laughs> well
1: yes I do patchwork urban farms is archived at our since I only have a few seconds but it is developing it is an effort that utilizes undeveloped unbuilt lots, backyards, front yards, areas for a different form of community-supported agriculture. Neighbors are getting together. They're trading more than just food. And it is sprouting up. Pun intended.
0: Pun intended. You are listening to Nature's Edge, and my name is Dale Stewart, and we shall return after these brief messages. We have returned. This is L. Stewart, host of Nature's Edge, and we are having a, a wonderful discussion with Ned Ryan Doyle. Ned has his own show, Our Southern Community, which I know many of my listeners also listen to. And if you do not, I recommend uh, that you listen. Uh, occasionally, Ned has some great things on his show. Occasionally?
1: <laughs> oh, <did> my I? <laughs> goodness.
0: Did I say that?
1: Uh, uh, the competition <laughs> in radio programming is brutal. He's it, throwing magnetic iron filings into my computer. Something like that.
0: It, it can be difficult. Ned, we were talking about sustainability, and we were talking about urban uh, gardens and, and, uh, and bartering and sort of what's going on today uh, with the... Uh, with the world of sustainability and with urban gardens is there a movement or have you seen a movement maybe by uh, politicians or cities or states to try to regulate gardening in urban settings
1: well that has been a, a contentious issue for many many years and it's taken a number of different forms Uh, for example, homeowners associations that say, oh, you can't garden at all in your yard and it's part of the bylaws, which is probably the most restrictive and egregious. But people sign up and they sign the contract, so those are the rules. Uh, In suburban situations and settings, it's not really too much of an issue. Uh, Most of the time, where things get a little more... Questionable, maybe a little more complicated, is when that agricultural production is being sold. It's that commerce aspect of it that starts to bring in the government. The, starts to bring in the questions of, well, is it safe to eat? Is it really clean? You're, you know, what are you selling a business? You know, you, you got a business selling out of your yard, but overall, it. it I don't see it as any real impediment at this stage of the game because to even grow a few things, just a little bit of hobby gardening, all contributes to the bigger picture. Now, I have been attempting to become a gardener for quite a few years now, and I'm using those words carefully because I am not a model of ultimate gardening skill, but I'm getting better. And for most of the summer months, I eat pretty well out of the garden, just a small container garden, some raised beds, and so forth, at my location, in my home, which is off-grid and solar and so forth. And every bit that everyone raises and grows on their own, whether or not it's purely organic and so forth, is a help. There's almost a double value there that... It's one less ear of corn from a commercial farm. It's one less head of lettuce. And when you grow it yourself, you've got the economic benefits. But also, on the community level, again, the personal level, there has been a serious disconnect in our culture, and our society, of people from the land itself. And just getting out and planting a few carrots, tending a few bushes, getting out there for 20 minutes, half an hour in a day is really good for the, the psychological well-being of people. Oh, absolutely, also. yeah.
0: You know, it, it's interesting you you mentioned the uh, homeowners associations and gardens and things. I know a number of years ago my wife and I owned a home in one of these gated communities that had all of the rules and regulations, including the fact that you couldn't have a garden. Well, my wife, who is pretty, pretty good with things, decided... Uh, that she would plant her garden uh, in the uh, in the planters and in the areas of the yard where you could grow plants. So where people had uh, rose bushes and flowers, my wife had tomato plants and and other things. <laughs> and and we did have a couple of people uh, complain that we were growing a garden. My wife did go to the homeowners association and say these are flowering plants that I have planted, <laughs> Brilliant. and actually won the argument. And we we ate pretty well out of her out of her flower gardens for uh, for many years. So you can do it. You just have to be creative. It's it's as I often tell people when uh, who are wanting to start businesses and things. And we were talking about money earlier. You cannot let, let the lack of money prevent you from succeeding. You just have to get very creative with your <laughs> with your approach to it. Uh, and you know,
1: Dale, credit where it's due in Western North Carolina and specifically in Asheville, there's the Food Policy Council, there's a very forward thinking progressive Uh, level of government and representation that is seriously looking at food production, looking at food security. And so the upshot of that is there are far less barriers in actually support and encouragement for small gardening, for community gardening, and so forth. And that's definitely different than many areas around the country not that they're against it, but they're just clueless. There's no incentives. It's it's an unknown type of people just ride down to Walmart and fill up the basket and head back. And,
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, based on what you're saying, we're a little bit of an exception to the rule. I mean, I travel around the country a good bit, and certainly there are little uh, networks, and there are even some communities within larger communities that – that have this mindset and have this uh, uh, this sustainable mindset, if you will. But the uh, I would say, as a whole, people still like the ability to run down to their local grocery store, or stop at their local gas station, or go to the local uh, hardware store. Uh, you know, we're creatures of habit. and uh, <laughs> Good uh,
1: habits and bad habits. Yeah,
0: it it is just easier to go buy that head of lettuce in their mind than it is to grow it. But I think they're really missing that, you know, I really enjoy the growing of that head of lettuce.
1: <laughs> well, to be clear for the listeners, there is a place to go down to the grocery store. There's a place to go out and buy things. In terms of the community and so forth. So it's not as if we all have to grow, or grow our own food and weave our own clothes and kill the deer to make our shoes or anything like that. But it's the reliance on you have to go to the store. Uh, today, the, and I think it's still the same more or less number or formula. Most people have no more than two or three days worth of food in their home. And rely on the store. Well, that's crazy. A one-week storm in this weather. I mean, we're in the winter season in case someone hasn't noticed yeah. it. And so that idea of self-reliance and going to the store for something special or something extra you know, is fine. But it's the reliance on it where I think there's a real difference here that we need to keep in mind.
0: Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I also agree that it's not a bad idea to know how to sew, though, or to know how to make those things if, if you need to. And, of course, you know, Ned, I'm also all into the preparedness side of things, and that, that's another discussion uh, that we want to get into at some point. But um, when, when I do want you to talk a little bit about, because I do know that, that you live off-grid, and when we come back uh from our break i'd like like you to discuss a little bit about how how you live how your home is set up let's talk a little bit about solar let's talk a little bit about uh rain barrels or 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 sure or rain. Enough. Uh, sure let's enough. talk about um, uh heating and and uh, and just things that are available to the average citizen out there today that uh, uh can get them away from that that demand for energy uh, from from Big Brother, if you will. We can do
1: that as a teaser for the next segment. When I get home at night, I flip on the lights. I go to the refrigerator, take out a beer, turn on the computer, kick off the television set, and, yes, it's all off-grid.
0: There's no power lines running to your house. uh, Bingo. (laughs) That's out there. You are tuned to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and my guest, Ned Ryan Doyle. Ned is host of Our Southern Community. And, Ned, what is that uh, website? Quickly
1: OurSouthernCommunity.org.
0: This is Dale Stewart. We will be back. We have returned. This is Dale Stewart, host of Nature's Edge, and we are having a, a wonderful discussion with Ned Ryan Doyle. Ned has his own show, Our Southern Community, which I know many of my listeners also listen to, and if you do not, I recommend uh, that you listen. Uh, occasionally, Ned has some great things on his show.
1: Occasionally? <laughs> oh <did> My I? <laughs> goodness!
0: Did I say that?
1: Uh, <laughs> the competition in radio programming is brutal. He's it, throwing magnetic iron filings into my computer. Something like that.
0: It, it can be difficult. Ned, we were talking about sustainability, and we were talking about urban uh, gardens and and, uh, and bartering and sort of what's going on today uh, with the... Uh, with the world of sustainability and with urban gardens is there a movement or have you seen a movement maybe by uh, politicians or cities or states to try to regulate gardening in urban settings
1: well that has been a, a contentious issue for many many years and it's taken a number of different forms Uh, For example, homeowners associations that say, oh, you can't garden at all in your yard, and it's part of the bylaws, which is probably the most restrictive and egregious. But people sign up and they sign the contract, so those are the rules. Uh, In suburban situations and settings, it's not really too much of an issue. Uh, Most of the time, where things get a little more questionable maybe a little more complicated is when that agricultural production is being sold it's that commerce aspect of it that starts to bring in the government that starts to bring in the questions of well is it safe to eat is it really clean You're, you know, what are you selling a business you know you, you got a business selling out of your yard but overall it I don't see it as any real impediment at this stage of the game because to even grow a few things, just a little bit of hobby gardening, all contributes to the bigger picture. Now, I have been attempting to become a gardener for quite a few years now, and I'm using those words carefully because I am not a model of ultimate gardening skill, but I'm getting better. And for most of the summer months, I eat pretty well out of the garden, just a small container garden, some raised beds and so forth at my location in my home, which is off-grid and solar and so forth. And every bit that everyone raises and grows on their own, whether or not it's purely organic and so forth, is a help. There's almost a double value there that it's one less ear of corn from a commercial farm is one less head of lettuce. And when you grow it yourself, you've got the economic benefits, but also on the community level, again, the personal level, there has been a serious disconnect in our culture and our society of people from the land itself. And just getting out and planting a few carrots, tending a few bushes, getting out there for 20 minutes, half an hour in a day, is really good for the the psychological well-being of people. Oh, absolutely, yeah.
0: You know, it's interesting you you mentioned the uh, homeowners associations and gardens and things. I know a number of years ago my wife and I owned a home in one of these gated communities that had all of the rules and regulations, including the fact that you couldn't have a garden. Well, my wife, who is pretty pretty good with things, decided – that she would plant her garden uh, in the uh, in the planters and in the areas of the yard where you could grow plants. So where people had uh, rose bushes and flowers, my wife had tomato plants and and other things. <laughs> and and we did have a couple of people uh, complain that we were growing a garden. My wife did go to the homeowners association and say these are flowering plants that I have planted, <laughs> Brilliant. and actually won the argument. And we we ate pretty well out of her out of her flower gardens for uh, for many years. So you can do it. You just have to be creative. It's it's as I often tell people when uh, who are wanting to start businesses and things. And we were talking about money earlier. You cannot let, let the lack of money prevent you from succeeding. You just have to get very creative with your <laughs> with your approach to it. Uh, and you know,
1: Dale, credit where it's due in Western North Carolina and specifically in Asheville, there's the Food Policy Council, there's a very forward thinking progressive Uh, level of government and representation that is seriously looking at food production, looking at food security. And so the upshot of that is there are far less barriers in actually support and encouragement for small gardening, for community gardening, and so forth. And that's definitely different than many areas around the country. Not that they're against it, but they're just clueless. There's no incentives. It's it's an unknown type of people just ride down to Walmart and fill up the basket and head back. And,
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think uh, based on what you're saying, we're a little bit of an exception to the rule. I mean, I travel around the country a good bit, and certainly there are little uh, networks, and there are even some communities within larger communities that – that have this mindset and have this uh, uh, this sustainable mindset, if you will, but the uh, I would say as a whole, people still like the ability to run down to their local grocery store or stop at their local gas station or road to the local uh, hardware store. Uh, you know, we're creatures of habit. and uh, <laughs> Good uh,
1: habits and bad habits. Yeah,
0: it it's just easier to go buy that head of lettuce in their mind than it is to grow it. But I think they're really missing that, you know, I really enjoy the growing of that head of lettuce.
1: <laughs> well, to be clear for the listeners, there is a place to go down to the grocery store. There's a place to go out and buy things. In terms of the community and so forth, so it's not as if we all have to grow or grow our own food and weave our own clothes and kill the deer to make our shoes or anything like that. But it's the reliance on you have to go to the store uh, today. The and I think it's still the same, more or less number or formula. Most people have no more than two or three days worth of food in their home, and rely on the store. Well, that's crazy. A one-week storm in this weather. I mean, we're in the winter season in case someone hasn't noticed yeah. it. And so that idea of self-reliance and going to the store for something special or something extra is fine. But it's the reliance on it where I think there's a real difference here that we need to keep in mind.
0: Oh, I, I totally agree. I, I also agree that it's not a bad idea to know how to sew, though, or to know how to make those things if, if you need to. And, of course, you know, Ned, I'm also all into the preparedness side of things, and that, that's another discussion uh, that we want to get into at some point. But um, when, when I do want you to talk a little bit about, because I do know that, that you live off-grid, and when we come back uh from our break i'd like like you to discuss a little bit about how how you live how your home is set up let's talk a little bit about solar let's talk a little bit about uh rain barrels or or, or Sure or rain. Enough. Uh, sure let's enough. talk about um, uh, heating and and uh, and just things that are available to the average citizen out there today that uh, uh, can get them away from that that Demand for energy uh, from from Big Brother, if you we will. We can do that
1: as a teaser for the next segment. When I get home at night, I flip on the lights. I go to the refrigerator, take out a beer, turn on the computer, kick off the television set. And, yes, it's all
0: off-grid. There's no power lines running to your house. Uh, Bingo. That's out there. You are tuned to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and my guest, Ned Ryan Doyle. Ned is host of Our Southern Community. And, Ned, what is that uh, website? Quickly
1: OurSouthernCommunity.org.
0: This is Dale Stewart. We will be back.